So, hi everybody. This is Pal Austin. And this, all of this you're listening to, is your podcast, Opinion is Wrong. Welcome to it. This is episode 18, I believe. Yeah, sounds right. Yeah. I believe so. A little delayed in the editing, but uh, I, I believe it's 18. And on this, our 18th episode, is me, of course, your host, Austin. And our good friend, Alex. Ahoy, hi. And our good friend, Steve. Howdy. This is Alex and Steve. Three-person episode. Uh, going to keep it, you know, keep it relaxed and calm this episode. Not, a, not anything as hectic and uh, 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 chaotic as what you're used to. But chill as it may be, a quality episode is about to be upon you. Everybody, what are you listening to? See, I just went right smooth into that one. I didn't ask any questions. I just used all of my hosting authority and uh, went straight into it. Anyway. Yeah, no, that was, that was slick. Yeah, I know. Hold on. Straight, straight awesome. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, can you tell that I'm wildly unprepared for this episode? Yeah. We've been, we have been without a topic for the last couple episodes. I think it's been going okay. All right, let's just come up with a topic right now. Do we have one? Uh, I suggested a few on the board. Uh, uh, I like. Let me let me see what those were again. Favorite summer albums, favorite unreleased albums or songs. Who would be on your musical Mount Rushmore? I like that. That's no, right. We have to, go ahead. We have to account for musical greatness and chiseled looks. Okay. <laughs> in before Stephen Malcolmus. <laughs> Um, God, I've made that joke more times than I can count, but, uh, let's do, what are you listening to? I like that. Should we, should we do that? Who would be on your Matt Rushmore? Yeah. All right. Cool. Yeah, sure. All right. Um. I'll be able to, I'll be able to bullshit something. Yeah, me too. Uh, so, three, two, one. Hi, everybody, and, uh, welcome to... Uh, what are you listening to? The segment where we talk about what we're listening to. Uh, music, of course. And, uh, everybody, what are you listening to? Please, Alex, tell us what you're listening to. All right. Um, I recently listened to, uh, Stalling, so Last FM Can Load, uh, the new album from Allo Darlin, who are a Twee pop band. Surprise! Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Really, with a name like that, I, w- I would not have guessed. Mm-hmm. Uh, apostrophe after the N in Darlin, and apostrophe well, before the absolutely. A in Allo, as in Allo Darlin. There's Darlin. no apost- no apostrophe in front of the A, which ridiculous. is surprising mm-hmm. and very ridiculous. Mm-hmm. They have a new album out called Europe. Um, it's actually been getting really, really good reviews, surprisingly, because. Most twee pop albums get very middling reviews, which most of the time are fair, actually, uh, I believe. But it's a pretty good album. Um, solid songwriting, solid melodies. Uh, she name drops the Silver Jews, which I approve of. Oh, God. Oh, well. Well, that explains every, that. Every episode when you bring some album that I think can't possibly appeal to your taste more, you find another one that just like pigeonholes you so much that it's just like a complete <laughs> stereotype. 
Okay, I'm a, you for it. It takes a lot of conf- it takes a lot of uh, talent to find an album like that every week. Thank you, thank you. I'm a one-dimensional human being. That's <laughs> um, true. I uh, to counter that, I actually uh, listened to a Harsh Noise album uh, just today. Actually, um, it's from a band called Wolf Eyes. Oh, good one. You've heard of them? I have. Um, I asked. Um, there's this guy who contributes to NPR. He's a producer there called uh, Lars Gottrich. And he's basically their avant-garde metal expert. And I just asked him on Twitter, like, hey, what? Uh, I want to get into harsh noise music. What do you suggest? And he told me to listen to them. And I really liked it, actually. Nice. It's music to put you some hair on your chest, you know. It's not uh, It's not exactly aloe darling, but... You know. Yeah, I can't eat my cupcakes to this, but... No. Um, you can eat your death cakes. They have a recipe for death cakes. Inside every album, it's great. <laughs> I wish. Uh-huh. Um, it's actually surprisingly varied. Oftentimes, people are like, "Oh, it's just noise. You can't really tell the difference." But actually, I can actually tell the difference between a lot of the tracks. And the um, the a couple uh, the three tracks at the end, they're just complete silence. So it uh, it gives you the chance to appreciate what you just listened to. And after being bombarded by this harsh noise for the past half hour and just listening to silence it's really really trippy nice huh. i and always so used really to just, okay so it's really just three tracks of complete silence that's right hmm. man boards of canada only pulled had the balls to pull off one track of silence uh yeah it's like wolf yeah, wolf eyes went full three which uh kind of brings into the question you know what uh how do they decide upon the uh, three-track split? Like, like, are they equal lengths or varying lengths? They're varying lengths. I think one is four minutes, and the other ones are one and two, I think. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's getting to some, uh, some John Cage shit. <laughs> oh, uh, hey, hey, the first track is four minutes and 33 seconds long. Oh, there we go. Wow. We cracked the code. It's like but it's yeah. like national treasure up in this piece. <laughs> the song links are trying to tell me something. <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> gotta gotta find the Declaration of Independence. Realist, we we talked about Nicolas Cage on a previous episode for like two hours. We can't fall back into our our old habits again. Okay, I'm, I I missed that one. Jeez, uh, I should have been on that one. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, back to back to John Cage. Yeah, I wonder what their uh, rationale behind the uh, those track track lengths were. Because uh, because four because four thirty three that that does actually have three movements. It's true. Mm-hmm. Um, watching covers of four thirty three on YouTube is one of life's simple pleasures. Uh, yeah, I, I I've gone down that YouTube rabbit hole once or twice. Yeah, there'll just be some guy at a drum kit, and he'll just say, I'm about to cover 433, and then he'll cover it. Mm-hmm. And then you'll go to the next video, and it's a guy on a piano or a guy on a sitar. And you always expect them to do something, even though you you know they're, they're not going to. It's very mm-hmm. entertaining. Uh, yeah. Uh, I was at a music camp once, and uh, they were talking about, you know, like, music theory or, I guess, music philosophy. And um, they played a John Cage thing, and they were like, you know, talking about, you know, defining music and everything. And then um, 
they played a Sonic Youth video, like live footage of them just making noise. And uh, I was like, but the, the Sonic Youth. And everyone was like, what are you talking about? And uh, nobody else likes Sonic Youth except for me at that music camp, apparently. You guys have seen the Nardwar Sonic Youth interview, right? Yeah, that's 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 one of the things in the world that just makes me unhappy to live. Like they're they're going straight to hell when they die. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Oh, most definitely. They're like, it's like if you're addicted to Nardwar, you're like, you're like indie rock Judas. It's horrible. It's like how can you possibly hate that guy or even dislike him a little bit? <sighs> There's some more found a way. Mm-hmm. Uh. Yep. I've talked about this for Malkmus, and I think it probably holds true for more too. Is that um, uh, he is uh, I think probably not a nice person, or at least a, like a maddeningly pretentious person. Because like you see those videos of him, he used to occasionally host 120 minutes. Uh, back when VH1 was not just a um, uh, repository for shows about Flavor Flav's ex-wives, and uh, right, right. Yeah. And, uh, like, he would do, you know, he had uh, a Masona uh, video on there, and, like, he had uh, Beck on and stuff. But he always just, like, he would never say a straight, non-ironic statement. And just pissed me off so much that he wouldn't, you know, take anybody seriously enough to actually make a sincere statement. That that just bugs me. And that seems like something Malcolmus would do. <laughs> Don't compare... <laughs> Let's be honest here. They're pretty much the same person. No, they are not. I can. Yeah. No. Yeah, that's true. Malcolm oh, takes yeah. himself yeah. far less seriously. Don't kid yourself. Uh, it's true. Uh, well. He makes fun of himself. There's some more has no sense of humor. I think that's true, or at least a sense of humor that applies to anybody except himself. Yeah. Well, it. Yeah. Yeah. Hello, it's... His interview with Beck, it was uh, strange, but uh, I, I found it quite funny. That was when Beck was doing the same sort of thing, too, where he was just like, I'm yeah, going to be like, weird on camera. And then yeah, over, both, over time, he's they calmed played, down. They played off each other uh, quite well in that, you know, uh, draped in uh, several uh, layers of, of irony. Mm-hmm. I actually just finished reading their chapter in, uh, uh, what's it called? Our, our band could be your life, and yeah, that didn't really make them more likable. They just seem oh. incredibly pretentious, and I rarely use that word, but they yeah. are incredibly pretentious. You know who's really hateable, like super hateable in that book, is the butthole surfers? I just got to their chapter. They're complete scumbags. They're like the worst. <laughs> I look forward to reading their exploits. Uh, I talked about this before. But there was a time towards the end of, I guess, Butthole Surfers proper, like the full lineup and everything, where um, uh, Gibby Hain, Gibby Haynes or whatever, was just insane, like just completely and totally always on drugs insane. And there's some very, very interesting stories about what, what he's done um, with various parts of his body to various objects uh, in that book. And that was luggage, I believe. Yeah, that was it. That was it. You were there, and uh, uh, among among other things. So I mean, just to get you pumped for that chapter, it's one of the best in the book. 
Steve, what have you been listening to? Just about to say it. <laughs> what have I been listening to uh, in the past three days since the last podcast? Um, well, I, I actually uh, took the plunge and I listened to the entirety of uh, Lil B's God's Father. How long is that album? Uh, it's like two hours, I think. Jeez. What? Is that the garage punk one he was talking about? Or rather uh, ranting about at that NYU thing? I don't think so. It didn't, didn't sound very garage punk to me uh, anyway. But yeah, it's uh, one hour, 57 minutes. Ugh. 30, 34 tracks of, of, of the based god. Did was it good? Uh, honestly, I didn't mind it. Uh, it, it was okay. Um, I mean, I, I think I've said this before. I, I like uh, I like a lot of uh, Lil B's production choices, uh, the samples that he uses, or whoever picks them out for him. He had some uh, really interesting ones on a uh, on this particular record. Uh, it's all it's like anime and video games, correct? Uh, he goes into that, yeah. Um, like this one, uh, he did uh, the save three, the save theme from Ico. Oh, that's uh, cool. Which is a which is a fantastic game uh, with a uh, with a fantastic soundtrack by uh, Michiru Oshima. So uh, that was cool. Um, he also used a uh, Final Fantasy X, like one of the uh, background pieces for that. Uh, there's a third one that struck me. I forget what it was, though. I'm sure I can, I'm sure I can stall and look it up, uh, while I talk about other things. But yeah, honestly, it's not that bad. I, I, I've never been one who, uh, sort of immediately took a dislike to Little B. I just always found him more so as a, as a curiosity. A goof. Yeah, kind of, like, uh. Nobody I'd take completely seriously, but I don't think he'd mind that. Um, then yeah, and, How... and he makes uh, you know interesting stuff like less. Uh, How's necessarily... the actual rapping on the album or the mixtape, rather? Uh, you know, it, it's a little B, so it, it was nothing spectacular. I mean, he had some good, you know, some songs that where his I, I liked his flow better than on others. Uh, I mean, honestly, it wasn't the thing I was most paying attention towards uh, whilst listening to uh, the entire two hours. Um, but yeah, I, I, I mean, it was nothing. It was nothing that offended me, uh, and, and that was that was just fine. Okay, I found the posts I made. Uh, oh, and he also sampled a, a piece from the uh, Donnie Darko soundtrack. Oh, that's cool. By uh, Michael Andrew. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it was one of the uh, like piano, solo piano pieces. Are there any um, Clams Casino production works on this particular album? Uh, I haven't listened to enough Clams Casino to tell you uh, definitively. It, it's possible, but I'm not sure. Oh, okay, is the producer not listed? Uh, I don't know. I or. I, I haven't looked it up. Not not to put you on the spot. No, um, no, 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 it's cool. Yeah, yeah. I, honestly, I just downloaded it because uh, because it was two hours, and uh, I 
I forget what Anthony said about it, but I think he just said, like, he listened to it. Uh, he didn't review it or anything, but I figured, you know, why, why the hell not? The thing is about Little B is that um, he's he seems really dumb, but he's, like, really self-aware. Like, he... Oh, seriously, yeah. He, he comes off, like, way more intelligent than he seems. Does because, he, like, though? He, he does, like... Uh, no, seriously. I'm assuming, like, I'm assuming you didn't listen to that NYU lecture. I listened to as much as I could stand. Right. I I don't know. It just he he falls into like the old you know like gangsta foibles, but like he's a lot more aware of like culture and the stuff around him than m- m- like most people in general. Like uh, I mean, the dude can talk about garage punk for a while. Like, he knows a lot of garage punk bands. And I I have mixed feelings on the guy because I think uh, his lyrics are a lot of times really dumb. And his pro- uh, production is a lot of times really good. But uh, I, I what I like is the, like, the super ambient Clams Casino production. And then just the really lazy sort of nasally tone of his voice. I think just aud- like on an audio level, those two things sound good together. Which is usually why I listen to Little B. Do you listen to yeah, him, no, Austin? I didn't know. This I listen. I, li- I listen to I'm Gay, and I, l- I like the singles. You know. Okay. Yeah, like I, I'm Gay was uh, was another one where uh, I think it was the first kind of full Little B mixtape slash album that I listened to, and seriously, I went into it expecting it to be completely terrible because that was that just kind of been my impression of what Little B was just. Uh, not from his music, but from his, uh, from the way he's been, you know, perceived by, you know, uh, internet culture and stuff. And I came out of, uh, I'm gay feeling. Gay? Well, gay. Uh, yeah. but also, you know, feeling yeah, pretty good about Lil B. Like, again, it was, it had good production. Uh, his rapping wasn't great, but it wasn't uh, offensively bad or anything. And, uh, yeah, it, like, like you said, Austin, kind of the more you look into him, he does come across as a fairly uh, aware, kind of well-spoken, uh, and overall just kind of interesting individual who's, uh, you know, I think a, a import, obviously an important figure in this, uh, you know, Internet-based uh, music culture that we're in right now, uh, whether you like him or not. He's one of those people that's like, I don't know, like why or how he exists the way he does. And yeah. I, I, the a good comparison would be like, um, like why did America let Twin Peaks be on the radio uh, on the air for so long? It, it's weird yep. that like a show that totally bizarre got the popularity it did and manages the last two seasons. No, little B's the same way. Where like he's this completely weird, over everybody's head like sort of idiot savant and uh still he is you know like popular with a lot of people it's very bizarre yeah he's he's this uh just really strange and uh, fascinating anomaly um who's just kind of doing do, I, I get the feeling he's pretty much just doing all this shit for himself and he's somehow gathered up this uh, huge following So, indeed. 
So I just think it's it's interesting. I do appreciate uh, that he's a more positive rapper than most. I can appreciate his outlook. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that sometimes uh, is a point against him. With well, like like Austin said, a lot of his lyrics can be really cheesy. Um, but but yeah, it's like well, at least they're cheesy in like you know a positive feel good sense, and not in a uh, hate everybody, kill yourself sense. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you think Little B's lyrics are cheesy, Steve, you're obviously not based enough, but I well, think that I, I, well, I know I'm not based at, yeah. at all. But. I feel, I feel, I feel fairly certain that I'm, I'm, uh, at least decently based. How no, do you feel I'm about not... your based level, Alex? I am not at all based. No, no. I feel like Alex is the unbased. He's like the, uh, the acided. Oh, I was about to say that. <laughs> I, I do not get just what acided. What is acid base? The pH acid base. Oh, okay, okay. You, you can't really make a past tense of acid, but I did. Biochem majors, Jesus Christ. Um. Is Malcolmus based, Steve? Uh, Alex, do you think Malcolmus is based? I I, I know I think Malcolmus is based. Yeah, well, I don't know if he certainly fits that category, that classification, but I don't think he approves of Little B, whatever that even means. But he is a noted fan of hip hop; like he's a big Outkast fan. But, I, I think liking Outkast doesn't make you a big fan of hip hop. Well, like the early stuff, like the early stuff. I've read interviews. I've read all the interviews. Uh, I know you have. Uh, well, yeah, I'll, I will definitely take your word for that. Yeah. It's like, yeah, never mind. But I think this podcast is taking a turn for the weird and not that interesting. So I think we should move on. Oh, hey, that's me. What have I been listening to? That's true. Jesus Lord, I'm not prepared for this at all. This is going not so good. See, this oh, well, is, well, this speaking is of it... speaking uh, of hip hop, um, I I also this week I listened to uh, Mad Villainy for the first time in years. Oh, okay. Uh, I thought you were about to say for the first time, and I was going to have to smack you across. Yeah, the that internet. was going to blow my mind. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it may as well have been. Um, I, I listened to it a couple years back because, uh, you know, it was kind of one of those essential albums you read about on the internet and then like, okay, I guess I'll listen to it. And I guess it must not have made that much of an impression on me at the time, uh, which is why it took me so long to revisit it again. Uh, but I'm really not sure why uh, it didn't make an impression on me because it's really fucking good, which I'm, I know I'm preaching to the choir, but still. It's the best hip hop album of all time. Really? I. Yes, really. I, yeah, no, I, 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 I could definitely see people arguing that. Um, I, I have no idea what I'd call the best hip hop album of all time, but um, yeah, Mad Villainy is really good. It is really good. Um, the Quakers album, the Portishead side project, it's very heavily indebted to Mad Villainy in terms of the song lengths and the production. Oh, okay. huh. this is the four-hour one or whatever. It's forty tracks or something okay. like that. 
Right. But it's a lot shorter. Well, that's good. And uh, speaking of long albums, um, your favorite guy, uh, Johnny Jewel, Steve, he released a two-and-a-half-hour sound alternative soundtrack to Drive. And I heard it's actually pretty good, so I want to listen to it. That's Yeah, weird. well... Yeah... The soundtrack's a different kind of thing than an album. Um, and and the, and the one chromatic track that wasn't a Drive soundtrack was worked really well where it was. So, yeah, I, 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 think, I think it'd be interesting to hear. Can I ask a question? I, I may have asked this before. Is that guy really named Johnny Jewel? Or did he I just believe- name himself Johnny Jewel? He named himself after the television song, I believe. Little Johnny Jewel, which was television's first single. Yeah, that's what I thought. They um, don't sound anything like television, but... Yeah, I know. Well, they, they sound terrible, from what I remember. <laughs> They're not all terrible. Chromatics is really bad. I totally agree. But Glass Candy's pretty good. Uh, wait. Uh, Steve, you're the one who hates them the most, right? Uh, Probably, yeah. yeah. No, I mean like in the world. <laughs> oh, oh well, yeah, definitely, man. You're the foremost expert on hating them. Uh, yeah, I I, I like to think so. Um, man, why did that album get rated so highly? It just bugs me that stuff like that it, happens. Hitchfork loves the '80s nostalgia. Yeah, I know. It is. Yeah, it's. They're still it's living in summer of '09. It's never going to be summer of '09 again, friends. It's not going to happen. Thank God. Um. Pitchfork contradictions are like I think they write about hip hop a lot less competently than they write about other things. Have you noticed that before? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I think that I don't know if it's like a desperate attempt to not come off as super pretentious, but like writing about like saying like, oh, I listen to weird hip hop because I listened to Little B and Waka Flocka when in a Death Grips review. Is like he said he was a uh, what was it devoted fan of Little Bean Waka Flocka, and it's even hard liking them to consider Death Grips rap. That's the thing; like they write with such a lack of self awareness about it that it makes me question like the competence of anybody on that website. The thing is, their features are really good. Oftentimes, mm-hmm. like Why We Fight is a great column. Oh yeah, and, I love uh, what's what's his face guy yeah, right. Uh, yeah, I've, the name escapes me too. But um, oh, I know, Johnny, I know what the name is, but I'm not going to bother trying to pronounce it. Johnny Pitchfork. So, yeah, Johnny Pitchfork. <laughs> have like, you seen like Nitsa Baby, something like that? Have you seen uh, Ryan Schreiber's cat? It's you could totally tell it's Ryan Schreiber's cat. <laughs> is it just uh, is it just talking about you know my beautiful dark twisted fantasy all the time? Yeah, and uh, Discovery by Daft Punk. That's like a six. Yeah. Can, he yeah. that. <laughs> you, you can you can totally tell it's Ryan Schreiber's cat. There's a podcast episode title if ever there was one. <laughs> That's they, adorable. Pitchfork gave my favorite album of all time a nine point nine. Can you believe that? That's uh. oh, you must. Hold on, let's try to guess. Let's really try to guess what special. it is. Is it um, Crooked Rain? Crooked Rain? No, they gave that a ten, and rightfully so. Really? <laughs> no, yes, I think. Uh, oh, they did, huh? Okay. I think you mentioned what, what, this, uh, what's your favorite it, album? Uh, of all time? American Water. That's right. 
boom, I, I know my Alex. Yeah. That that'll that'll serve you well in future careers. Why um, why a nine point nine? Yeah, that's the thing, though. It's like, what is that? What is that point one? What is that? You know, one thing that uh, that you know just just didn't quite make it. I'm sorry, I don't know what this is. What album? What what album is this? Uh, Silver Jews. Silver Jews. Okay. They gave it a 9.9, and that's going to forever drive me crazy until I die. Huh. Um, well, that's just, that just, uh, that just a perfect picture of the absurdity of a 100-point grading system. It's like, it's, okay, what's the difference between a 9.9 and a 10.0, honestly? How do you uh, quantify that? That's true. It, it, I like 10-point scales. 10-point scales work because each... There's a big enough gap in between every number to, to merit like that being a 9 or a 10. Oh, yeah, I, I, I'm an admitted fan of Anthony's system. I, I think it's a good compromise between the 10 point and the 100 point. Mm -hmm. It's like a 30 point something with the light decent and the strongs. Yeah, and there's a couple variations beyond that. I think he's done like... Yeah, I, 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 Beefy is the noted one. Yeah. Yeah, I... Exactly. Yeah, I, I think it's a good, a good compromise and provides enough wiggle room uh, while still kind of distinguishing between, you know, individual nines, individual eights, and, and so on. Oh, speaking of Pitchfork 10s, do they give that Pavement Reunion album a 10, too? There was no Pavement Reunion album. Well, it was don't, called... What, don't was, it, was it called Quarantine the Past or something? That was the best of. It's, it was something they could sell on tour. Oh, okay. But it got a 10. I thought that was weird. A, a compilation? Yeah. It's a best of CD. And I don't like best of CDs just ideologically. Wow, they gave... Okay, Radiohead reissues. It was Pablo Honey, OK Computer, and the Benz. They gave it a four, uh, 5.4 and then a 10 and then a 10. Oh, yeah. Well, I agree with that. Yeah. Well, maybe not a 10 for the Benz. Mm -hmm. No, I don't agree with that either. Yeah, but Ben's is, Ben's is a nine. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I listened to every Radiohead album in one day once, because I hadn't listened to them a lot before, like I knew about them. And then I just I downloaded every album and I listened to them chronologically. Oh, that, oh, that must have been interesting. Not really. It was a lot of Radiohead at once. Radiohead's good, but uh, oh, this is awesome! They gave Glenn Bronca's The Ascension a ten out of ten. Anybody a Glenn Bronca fan? I know nothing of that person. Never even heard of him. He was this guy uh, who was in No Wave. Do you guys know No Wave? Yeah, oh, yeah. Brian Eno's compilation. Uh, that's the weirdest way to define No Wave. <laughs> well. It was named because of the No New York compilation that Brian, you know, assembled. Yeah, it was, but, like, I mean, it was the first, well, like, completely experimental music scene in America. Like, oh, like the only thing before it was, like, kraut rock, and then, you know, punk rock happened, and then this <laughs> in America? Stuff. What? No, no, I mean, it just, like, in terms of the world. The first, like, experimental music thing, except for, like, John Cage noise rock t or noise noise music type stuff like that. Yeah, music concrete. Yeah, um, Old. 
but anyway. It's so weird that you said to Brian. That's that's what that was that's odd. what made it notable because it's such a huge oh shut up head. shut up it, it, it's, it's true he's not a figurehead for no wave no it, experimental music <sighs> Steve back me up do you, don't don't you dare do you know what no wave is like do you know the sound yes of it? yes it's like extremely noisy freeformy kind of predecessor to progenitor to noise rock aka Mars and aka DNA. very much. Very Teenage much not Jesus. Brian Eno. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, I'll, I'll, I don't think anyone can argue for Eno's uh, importance in the experimental music scene. But uh, Oh, hey, they're playing Brian Eno, I think, I'm pretty sure, in my dentist today. In, like, the dentist room. Well, that was very calming. I, I know, right? Yeah. Huh. Did, did, did you compliment your dentist for, for having good taste? Uh, no, I think it was just through the whole place, but, uh, my mouth is full of tools. Anyway, um, yeah. So, I have uh, nothing else to say on this topic. (laughs) I'm wildly unprepared for this episode, and I'd like to apologize for it. It's been good so far, it's been good. Sure, sure. Oh, awesome, I want to hear more about this, uh, Glenn, Glenn person. Oh, he was this, um, he was like a... Jazz something or other, I don't know. He 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 was in jazz music, uh, uh, but he moved to New York and found all this insane experimental music, and um, he was in um, uh, theoretical girl, which is one of my favorites, and this other smaller one called the Static. Um, but then he made this album called The Ascension, and it's uh like essentially just an hour long four track piece for guitar. And it's, like, made only guitars, and it's just, like, I don't know, there's a pretty famous video, but Glenn Bronca could do things to a guitar that no man could, like, he can make insane noises, like, no man, including Thurston Moore and Jimi Hendrix. He just pulled the strangest noises out of the instrument, and uh, there's, like, an album of this stuff, and, like, some of it is, like, sort of tonal, uh, and it's almost, like, sort of post-rocky. Uh, in the sense that it's sort of like on this grand epic scale, but a lot of it's just like uh, pure, no wavy, like posts. I like like post punk. It's got like sort of a funk influence, like James Chance and the Contortions, but um, much more, less associated with jazz. I guess much less associated with jazz. Uh, it's a very hard thing to explain. I recommend everybody listen to it. Uh-huh. I, I I think I will. Mm-hmm. Oh, hey, Pitchfork gave it a ton. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I'm looking at pictures of him now. None of these No Wave people have aged well, with the exception of Thurston Moore. Like, Lydia Lunch looks like a old crackhead, and James Chance looks like uh, like a very sort of... I, I like, like, partially fat? Is that an adjective that's able to be used? Because that's what he looks like. I'll He's only fat it. in certain places. And then this uh, uh, Glenn Bronca guy, he is he, he looks like the dude from The Big Lebowski, but with short hair and like plus like 80 years. It's not mm-hmm. pleasant to look at. I discovered a, a Tumblr page where it was um, South Park renditions of famous noise artists. Like there's Sun and uh, Mersbau and KJ Hayno. Uh, it's pretty funny. I'm sorry. What? 
what is the title of this Tumblr? Because I have no idea what you're talking about. I think I need to. Um, it might be noise park, a noise dash park dot tumblr dot com. Uh, no, noise. Well, that's well, that that's a specific audience. If yeah, I know that's the. I love living in a uh, you know in, in an internet where that exists. Yeah. It's wow. pretty great. This is the. It's like South Park characters, except uh, noise art, like South Park versions of noise artists. Yeah, like there's Masana and uh, Brian Chippendale and some other people. This is uh, Daniel Lapotin. That's awesome. Uh, this is the weirdest thing I've ever seen. And we, we've been on some weird internet sites. Uh, like during this podcast, but even more than Little B, why does this exist? Klaus Schultz, yeah. that's insane. This internet thing is crazy, yo. Yeah. Anyway, we should probably move on because, you know, just because. Because, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Austin, were you going to talk about the viewer listening to? Or? Oh, yeah. Hey, we're still doing that. Um, well, me, Austin, uh, was listening to records, and some of those records include a lot of drum and bass, which I've been listening to a lot. Like Lightning uh, Bolt, like D uh, DFA 1979. Yes, like Lightning Bolt and DFA 70. No, not like Lightning Bolt and DFA 79. Jerks, like um, uh, uh, like Rony Size. Does anybody listen to Rony Size? No, I, I haven't listened to a whole lot of uh, D and B, to be honest. I mean, in a sense, it's ear candy, and you know, I'm very aware of that. But oh, yeah. like, you know, I I'm I I like ear candy every once in a while. I listen to Bubblegum Pop. Oh, definitely. Yeah. That's uh, <laughs> what that uh, Trust album this year is for me. Mm -hmm. Nice play on words there, Austin. Ear uh, candy, bubblegum pop. I'll take credit for that. That was intentional, sure. Um, oh. Yeah. But uh, I love, like, the jazzier side. I guess a lot of it's called jazz step um, of uh, D&B. Like, you know, like a lot of sort of uh, upright bass samples. And, uh, you know, oh, stuff like that. And uh, Roni Size is a, I guess he's from like San Francisco or something. I could be wrong, but he's really good at that. And uh, other guys include uh, really early Square Pusher. And, of course, uh, Amon Tobin or Amon Tobin or whatever, who I've never actually, I've never actually listened to him, which is sad, I know. But uh, I'm finally uh, correcting that. And,. I, I feel good about it. Danny and IDM Nick would be proud. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I haven't really been listening to much of anything interesting lately. What has everybody else been doing? Uh, uh, in terms of what we've been listening to? Yeah. Uh, no, I just... It, in terms of anything, we need something to talk about. This podcast is going downhill at a rapid pace. Uh, well, well, that's, uh, 
that's par for the course here at your podcast opinion is wrong. Very true. Um, oh, God. It, it's even now. Even now it's happening that we address it. Okay. We had a topic. <laughs> All right. Well, well I, think, I think we've wrapped up uh, what are you listening to. So yes. why don't we move on to our, uh, our topic of the day. And Alex, since you came up with it, uh, what are we going to be doing? Uh, today's topic is if we could uh, construct a musical Mount Rushmore, who, uh, what four figures would be uh, forever preserved in granite? In other words, who would be uh, the four musicians? And does any uh, artist in particular spark your mind? Uh, okay. Uh, number one. For me, Robert Pollard. Okay. <laughs> sure. Uh, I'll talk about why. Because the man's a powerhouse of a songwriter. And if anybody deserves to be enshrined on something, uh, it's it's Robert Pollard. And uh, maybe we can, like, if, I don't know if it's, like, hollow, we can lock him in there so he won't make any more terrible albums. <laughs> this is... The front man of Guided by Voices. Yes, it is. Who do not know. Um, I've only listened to B Thousand, and you said they have other good albums. What in particular are your favorites? Propeller. Uh, Alien Lanes. And uh, let's say. Let's go eat the factory. Go jump off a building. <laughs> no, I'm not going to talk about this because I don't have the energy. But um, that's maybe one of the most just culturally offensive albums I've ever listened to, and I recommend that if you have a copy, um, burn it and then kill yourself. I dislike it so much. Anyway, Steve, what about you? Um, let's see, uh, uh, well, this should come as a, a, a shock to no one, but I, I'd probably throw Owen Pallet up there, not, yeah. not only because he's, uh, a, uh, fantastic, uh, musician and arranger who's had his fingertips in many, many, many projects, uh, including the upcoming, uh, Lincoln Park album, um, but he's also, uh, he's also quite the, uh, quite the dashing individual. I, I'd say. So I think I think I think he'd look good in stone. Is what I'm saying. Definitely. Yeah, the man's got a, a he's got a chiseled appearance. I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I would choose. Um, darn it. Uh, Austin, you're a big Super Chunk fan, right? Uh, I was wearing their T-shirt earlier today. Oh, and I am wearing a Guided by Voices T-shirt right now. So. Uh, yeah, I'm a big Super Chunk fan. Which one of them uh, started Merge Records? Uh, two of them, actually. Mac McCona and Laura Balance. Okay, um, I'll split them in half and glue them together, and then that'll be one of mine. Um, not for just being in Super Chunk, but for starting Merge Records, which is a fantastic label that continues on today. So many great albums have been put out on Merge. Um, the Wild Flag album from last year in the Aeroplane Over the Sea. 
uh, 69 love songs. So many greats. I always forget that they put out Airplane Over the Sea. Yeah. They did. <laughs> How about oh, God. <laughs> this is just a podcast abortion. Yeah. Stop saying well, that. In, in, in my defense, uh, I, I'm, I'm a bit anemic right now because uh, I, I sliced open my thumb making dinner earlier. Oof. So this I, is infinitely I, more interesting. So, yeah, so, you know, and I, I don't know what it is. I mean, I should because I sort of know biology, but it c- cuts on your fingers just bleed like nothing else. Like, it took a good... 15 minutes before that thing uh, would stop uh, oozing out blood at a uh, kind of alarming rate. Oof. What were and you making course, and, and what did I, you use to stop the bleeding? Okay, well, I, I was making a, uh, a creamed bratwurst dish, uh, a, a nice kind of heavy uh, German dish, which is uh, quite good uh, if you're ever in the mood for something like that. Um, but I was uh, opening a can... And it was one of those uh, cans that has a, uh, it has like a tab so you can just pull the top off. You don't need a can opener, right? Yeah. So uh, the problem, the the issue came from me pulling it off too fast, and so uh, it it sort of uh, flung back and uh, left a nice gash on my thumb. You don't know your own strength. Yeah, uh, apparently. Um, so yeah, so that started bleeding like a stuck pig, and uh, yeah, I, I, I ran it under cold water for a good minute or so. It wasn't and wasn't doing anything, so I wrapped it up in a paper towel. And of course, I'm in the middle of making dinner, and I kind of don't want to pass out because otherwise, I might set the apartment on fire, which which is something I'd like to avoid doing. So I'm like trying to keep pressure on the wound so it'll stop, uh, you know, kind of bleeding all over the place, uh, while at the same time, you know making the noodles, kind of stirring the dish. I still had some other things to open and, and mix. And, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was an, inter- an interesting balance of uh, trying to make dinner and trying uh, not to pass out from blood loss. See, this is good podcasting. Mm-hmm. Do we just agree you- to everyone just, just hurt themselves once a week so we have something to talk about? Uh, I might agree to that. Yeah. Um, but considering yeah, uh, your sacrifice yeah so so I, I think I managed to not get any of my blood in the food although it did taste extra good and that and, and that could be why it could have a, a bit of a bit of love aka my uh, my genetic uh, material in that but who knows have either of you had your wisdom teeth extracted yep. uh, no not yet uh, Steve, did you do you bleed uh, bleed profusely after the surgery? Um, no, I, actually, I was uh, I was pretty good uh, after that surgery. Um, I wasn't so fortunate. I bled out like crazy. Yeah, I hear. I hear. Yeah, like certain people uh, are not as fortunate as others. I uh, know, but. My my wisdom teeth uh, story is, uh, and I, I don't remember any of this. I had to have this relayed towards me, but uh, obviously they put you under gas, so you're you're out of it. 
And I guess after I like, finished the extraction, uh, there, there there was a brief moment where I sort of came to so in the chair, uh, and uh, the, the the doctor there, the the, the surgeon, people were there. I was like, uh, so you yep, you're with us, and I, and apparently I said, uh, no, doctor, I'm not quite lucid yet, and then I <laughs> and then I fell back unconscious. Wow, nice. you're really eloquent, even when you're drugged up. Even when you're yeah, completely whacked out of your mind. That was the thing. Like I had never used the word "lucid" in like casual conversation uh, ever, uh, consciously. But apparently, my subconscious is a uh, is, is a classy fellow. Speaking of uh, using uh, weird words uh, in regular conversation, um, I was at uh, some like camera store with my friend the other day. And I used the word perusing to the clerk or whatever because he asked if we were looking for something. I said, no, we're just perusing. And he he gave me a lot of guff for it. Really? <laughs> I think it's a fine word. And it's oh, a, I like it. Yeah, per- yeah. yeah, perusing is a good word. I'm just perusing your wares. Uh, did he give you – where do you live that he gave you guff about using a big word in the supermarket? It's not, it wasn't a supermarket. It was the mall. Oh, Okay. That makes more sense, I guess. Slightly. I don't know. No, that, cha- that changes everything. Yeah. The mall. Jeez. What a snob. Yeah, I, I, I like I like trying to throw in uh, bigger words when I'm like uh, lecturing uh, to my students. Uh, just, just, just to kind of remind them that I do actually have an English degree. Um, you do? So like, uh, yeah. I had no idea. So, uh, today I threw in uh, I threw an impetus. Oh, that's a good one. I've used yeah, that on the podcast before. Yeah, uh, I I managed to throw in another. Oh, I got a uh, superfluous. I managed to get that one in. Uh, you know, no, nothing nothing too fancy. I don't want to show off, but you know, just a little, just a little, you know, uh, flavoring now and then. I can appreciate that. Yeah. Alex, are you in college or going to? I, I am a freshman. Okay. Yeah. What What are you studying? Uh, I'm undeclared right now, but I'm going to uh, be an English major. You know what you should study? About how that show Undeclared sucked. It was not good. <laughs> I, I don't watch much uh, television. Yeah, it's probably best if you don't watch this. Yeah, I, 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 I saw... Uh, commercials for it when it was on, but uh, yeah, I, I kind of figured at the time this show isn't going to be good, and uh, I'm glad to have that confirmed. Thank you, Austin. Yeah, good for you. Um, yeah. How is college, Alex? Are you enjoying it? Yeah, it's 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 fun. I mean, there's a lot of freedom, and you. Yeah, I guess the freedom would be the my biggest, my favorite thing about it. Yeah, that uh, the experience of not living at home is uh is important and uh and and college is a uh, college is good because of that um and also not so good in some ways but mostly good. Nice. Yeah, I mean, it, it's an entirely different way of living and uh well and and then act- and then actually living on your own is entirely different than living on your own in college uh which is a whole nother thing but uh 
but yeah, college is a good stepping stone and uh, and a fun one, hopefully for for people. Wonderful, Steve. I believe you were next on the Mount Rushmore tangent. We uh, were going on tangent of a tangent of a tangent. I guess I was. Um, so let's see. After Owen Pallet, I mean, uh, you guys know me. I gotta throw uh, some uh, important Japanese person up there because, well, because, and uh, I'd probably throw up uh, Ryuichi Sakamoto. Uh, one of the uh, one of the three members of Yellow Magic Orchestra, Ooh, good. Uh, good. and they've they've all since and before then. Uh, all three members: Sakamoto, uh, Hosono, and Takahashi. They they've all had their very prolific, varied uh, solo careers. But I think Sakamoto's been the uh, most accomplished uh, outside of the band. Uh, like he's done uh, film soundtracks. Uh, and for films that have, you know, gotten, uh, you know, stateside releases, I mean, he scored, uh, oh, the, the, I think the last emperor or something, it, it won an Academy award, the, the film that I think actually the soundtrack did. So he's ridiculously accomplished, uh, fantastic composer. Uh, he's done everything from, uh, Lately, he's done more uh, solo piano, kind of experimental, modernist uh, pieces. But he's done um, uh, he's done a lot of synth pop. Obviously, uh, I listened to an album by him just this past week called 1996, which is just him at a piano and a, a string quartet with him, and it's really just very beautiful pieces. Um, and the dude's also a hot cake. Like in the in in the eighties, like women just must have been all over this guy. He, he was so fucking attractive. Uh, and so he'd he'd also be another he'd also be another person who'd look good in stone. Is what I'm saying. Right, right. Um, hot cake. I've never never heard that term applied to a human before. Yeah. Well, Fair enough. Now you have. Uh, all right. Up next is me, and I'm gonna say Frank Zappa. Ah, good choice. Because I mean, what is that? Is there? There's like no better, like more cartoonish face than Frank Zappa's. <laughs> the man is a living cartoon, and uh, like. Perfect for, you know, the beginning sculptor. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's, also, yeah, he's got such a good face. Oh. Also someone who is kind of maddeningly, maddeningly pretentious at times. But, uh, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll forgive him for the cool stuff he's made. Yeah, well, I think he was uh, one of those people who were uh, justifiably madden- maddeningly pretentious. God, that's hard <laughs> You know, he told he was mad at punk rock because he said it was stealing all of his fans. Uh, yeah, that's a horrible thing to say. <laughs> that just like lacks any sort of self awareness at all. That 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 almost makes me not like Frank Zappa. But I think it was ironically enough a big enough uh, influence on uh, punk rock to be forgiven for that. Yeah. I- 
Yeah, it, it was. It's it was uh, or it is kind of funny how how much he and punk rock uh, really didn't get along. Even though, as you said, he was definitely an influence. It's the, uh, the mother's invention. <laughs> I listened to Frank Zappa from 1965 to 1973, and beyond that, with various exceptions, it gets sort of not so good. Like, you know, like, Joe's Garage was cool, but then, like, oh, yeah. uh, Ship Arriving Too Late to Save a Drowning Wish. I mean, that's one for the dollar bins, if ever there was one. Oh, no, I, I, I like uh, Zappa's later, uh, more more experimental, um, like, like really out there experimental. I don't think, I don't think it's more experimental. I think he just became, like, a one-man jam band. I don't know. I'd, I'd, I'd argue. I'd argue that. Fair enough. Alex, are you a Frank Zappa fan? I embarrassing confession, I've never listened to him. Listen to the Mother's Invention albums. The first three, they're great. My favorite is Absolutely Free, which was their second one. And the general consensus on the best is um, uh, We Were Only In It For The Money, which was their third. But uh, those are three great albums. I recommend them to any music fan. Uh, I will have to check them out. Um, which one did Anthony review for uh, Under the Classic kind of review? He thing? did uh, Hot Rats. Oh, uh, that was actually not a Mother's album. That was a Frank yeah, Zappa. Yeah, that, that was, that was a, a Zappa solo. Uh, but still a, a really excellent album that you should hear. Um, that, that's one, of, the, that's one uh, of that era that uh, is the one I think best encompasses these uh, sort of jazz fusion type stuff he was going for. Mm-hmm. I see, and but he got super orchestral on his next album, or it might—it was the same year. It might have been even before it, but uh, it's called Lumpy Gravy, and that was um, another incarnation of Zappa that I did not really like. Was just the super like cartoon music orchestral stuff that he did. I know that's like um, uh, that's like prime prime stuff for you, Steve, but uh, for Austin, it's not 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 so good. Yeah, no, no I, I I definitely feel you. Like I I didn't like. Uh, that side of Zappa until I, uh, I, I, I listened to most of his discography a couple months back. I kind of just went through all of it for the hell of it. And, uh, yeah, I ended up liking a lot of the stuff that I had not prior. Um, but, which was the, the stuff, as you said, kind of the more orchestral cartoony stuff and, and a lot of his eighties output, which I, had. Uh, which I think I had underestimated before, but I, I know that stuff is very divisive, even amongst uh, very fanatic Zappa fans. Yeah, he he was focused too much on. I mean, like what a lot of people... how good a musician he was, I think, as opposed to actually creating yeah. revolutionary stuff, which he did in his early days. Yeah. Well, I, honestly, I like. Well, I, I, well, it depends on the musician, but if I like the musician, I like them uh, kind of wanking themselves a bit and being, this is how awesome I am. Um, I, I, I know one of the most, uh, what a lot of people don't like about Zappa's uh, later output uh, with a synthesizer. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, and that he could, you know, I mean, his logic was he could essentially make, in theory, any kind of sound come out of it. And so he kind of just uh, became more absorbed in uh, creating music on his own and doing his own stuff. 
Um, and, and I think as he became more insular, that uh, he, he was definitely shutting out uh, a lot more of, of, of an audience than he might otherwise have had. Um, but I still think uh, kind of the, the, the last few albums he put out, there's a, there, there's a lot of good stuff in there. Um, and I really like uh, the Yellow Shark, uh, the uh, album of live orchestral pieces that Zappa had. I have that uh, CD around here somewhere. Composed. Yeah, it, I mean, honestly, uh, Frank Zappa was one of the, uh, in my opinion, one of the best uh, kind of 20th century, uh, you know, modern actual composers, you know, of uh, or, or, or orchestral music. Um, he, 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 I, I, I consider him up there with uh, some of the greats. As someone who knows next to nothing about like composer music uh or classical music as some people call it you know um i i i'm not qualified to speak on that but i think he was uh he was great at what he did even if he didn't always do what i liked yeah it uh, yeah I, th- I think we can all agree he was a he was a really uh, brilliant individual and uh sucks that he's dead true and we lost <laughs> we can bring him back we lost captain beefheart too are you are you proposing a frank zappa hologram Oh, I meant the the stone statue, but we could do that too. I'm beyond that. I'm 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 on to Frank Zappa hologram. He can come at Coachelli next year. Yeah. Anyway, Alex, next up, next up on your Mount Mount Rushmore of of music peoples. This might seem a little weird, especially to you, Austin, because you're a punk rock connoisseur. But I would choose Joe Strummer. Well, yeah, I can dig it. I like I the Clash. Good choice. Yeah. Yeah, well, they're my favorite punk band, and um, although they weren't the first, and they certainly weren't the best, I can I really appreciate how uh, bold they were in incorporating different styles into punk rock. Yeah, no, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, I even like. Uh, I, have you heard any of uh, Joe Strummer's uh, like later material, uh, Joe Strummer and the Mescaleros? I I haven't actually. It's 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 not clash caliber um but it i i mean i haven't listened to these albums in years so i don't know what i think about them now but uh at the time i enjoyed them have you heard any of joe strummer's earlier material in like the pub rock bands he was in the 101ers was it the 101ers yeah i haven't listened to that either i enjoy i like pub rock uh uh, not a lot of it's not as good as other stuff but um Still, I enjoy a lot of it. It's sort of proto-punky. It's like Elvis Costello, sort of. It sounds like Elvis Costello. Right, right. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh. Sort of poppy. Uh, oh, sort of like power pop in a lot of sense. Like a lot of blues stuff, too, though. I don't know. It's enjoyable. Very cool. Cool. Uh, who's next? Uh, Steve, you, I believe? Uh, I think that's me. Uh <laughs> Now it's here where I got to think, because uh, I thought of the first two pretty quickly, but uh, third. Oh, okay. Um, my third person on my imaginary Mount Rushmore of of music, or Mount Music more Rush music, I don't know. What's um, um, no, no rush, it. no rush. I will not allow prog rock. <laughs> Well, darn! No, I'm not. I'm really not a Rush fan. 
Uh, no, my third person would be Momus. Or uh, real name uh, Nicholas Curry. Curry. I think Curry. Um, this is, again, a, a very personal thing, but uh, he's definitely one of the artists I've uh, listened to the most. And um, I think kind of had one of the uh, more profound impacts on my uh, listening habits. Uh, not just because of uh, his music, but he used to... He, he had a live journal. Does anyone remember those things, live journals? It uh, sounds old. I know what they are, but they preceded me. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I figured. I, I mean, I, I used to have a live journal. That's how that's how old they are. Is there um, is there like an archive of this somewhere? There has to be. I love. They're it. still up, I believe. Uh, well, yeah, the site's still around. What was what was your live journal called, Steve? <laughs> I'm not fucking telling you guys. Oh, come on. <laughs> I think I, I think I have it all. I think I have it all like private or friends only. Uh, uh, anyway, um, but uh, regardless, he he had a he had a he kept a live journal for for a good number of years, and uh, he'd pretty much like just daily write about a different topic. Um, so he'd write about you know a certain artist maybe, or he'd write about a certain style of music, just 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 kind of whatever. Because uh, he he has a degree. In, in in literature and he's very well read and very well uh spoken slash written um and he's just lived a you know interesting life and he has had a lot of these interesting uh perspectives uh, on certain topics so i you know really enjoyed reading these uh, uh every morning and it's actually where i got introduced to a lot of uh the japanese artists that i really like now like yellow magic orchestra and sort of the people who were involved with them at the time, uh, Jun Tagawa, Miharu Koshi, uh, Koji Ueno, sort of that group at the time. I, I actually learned a lot through him. Um, so he, he was just a very kind of influential figure on my uh, music listening and perceiving habits. Um, and I still like, like him a lot, and he's still putting out music. And I think that's pretty awesome, having done it for uh over 30 years now that's the thing though i i, I heard him and he like his music is still uh very self-aware and not really indebted to sort of any retro aesthetic but like it, it's evolved over time but he was doing stuff in the 80s and that surprised me a lot because he seems like a, a very like with the times kind of guy which i like a lot yeah the, the, he actually uh before his first solo record, he was in a band uh, briefly called The Happy Family in the 80s. And the, and the one album they put out, uh, I think it was called The Man on Your Street. Uh, it was actually like a straight-up post-punk album. Uh, but it's like a, it a post-punk concept album, I think, about... Uh, I forget exactly. I think the protagonist suddenly finds himself the head of a country or something. Something to that effect. Um but yeah, he's he's a, had a just a really interesting trajectory, and yeah, he's kind of really always done his own thing, and uh, in the two thousands in particular, he put out uh, a trio of albums. It all began with O, uh, Oscar Tennis Champion, Auto Spooky, and um, Aki Milk, and he just kind of went balls to the wall crazy. On those, uh, 
like his music became a lot seriously more experimental than anything he'd done. Like like before then, he he was pretty much concerned or primarily a pop artist. Um, but these albums were really out there. He like uh, tore stuff off the internet and, and, and sampled them into his music. Like uh, I remember him saying in one song, he he wanted a guitar solo, so he just literally googled guitar solo took the first result and pasted that into the track. Um, so, so it, it was, I, I think he called it a Google pop, essentially uh, music that was assembled from, you know, components on the internet uh, was, was kind of part of what he was doing at that time. So he's just done a, a lot of really interesting things. And uh, he, he really is one of my, uh, you know, favorite uh, still living artists. And that eye patch of his would look really good in stone. Yeah, that, and, and that is true. He's got uh, he's aged quite well, uh, I think. It's really kind of come into his face. So he would he's another person who would look good uh, chiseled in rock. Nice. Um, I'm a man who wants to listen to uh, Momus. This is a hy- hypothetical situation. You understand? Um, right. Where do I start? That's a good question, Austin, or hypothetical man who wants to listen to Momus. Thank you. Uh, that that's a very difficult question to answer uh, because he's obviously had a very uh, long and prolific career. So he's got almost thirty albums, I think, maybe more like twenty-five. Um, so I'd probably recommend uh, you start with some of the uh, kind of middle albums from his uh, career mid 90s like, era yeah like uh, late 90s uh, mid to late 90s i mean the one i did for album of the week Folktronic, that was technically 2000 um but i think it's kind of a good introduction uh if not to his style which is again different uh depending upon which uh which year it is um but a good introduction to kind of his his songwriting and lyricism and uh, attitude, which is uh, very much uh, well perverse in a lot of senses. I mean, he does have an album called Tender Pervert, which is which which would actually be my second recommendation, uh, or at least a recommendation if you want to get into his more uh, '80s synth pop influenced stuff. Um. Some of his 90s albums, uh, The Little Red Songbook, uh, was the first one where he would, uh, he had this style he called Analog Baroque, or just pretty much like a Baroque music made through a Casio keyboard. So he had that, these... That sounds awesome. So he had, the, yeah, it is, it is like heavily indebted to uh, Wendy Carlos and, and that kind of... Uh, period of electronic music's history uh and he actually wrote a song about wendy carlos which wendy carlos subsequently sued him for oh why'd you do Not that cool. wendy carlos well she did it because uh the the song was essentially a playful uh kind of jokingly alluding to the fact that because you know wendy carlos is not wendy carlos but she was once walter carlos yeah um, so the, the song was about 
if time travel was possible, you know, Wendy could theoretically go back in time and marry Walter. And it, it was like, uh, you know, kind of weird, subversive things like that. And uh, I guess Wendy Carlos took offense to this because I guess her uh, transgenderism, uh, it, it's kind of not up for discussion or she doesn't like talking about it. Uh, so he, so she ended up suing him for, uh, for libel or, or, or whatever. And he ended up having to take the track off the album for one. And he also ended up with about $30,000 in debt uh, from, from legal fees. So that uh, fueled his next album, uh, Stars Forever, where what he did was he opened commissions for songs. And it was like people could pay him $1,000 and he'd write a song about them. So they that's awesome. Pay the, they'd pay him the money. They'd send him like a short biography or like, you know, likes, dislikes, things like that. And he'd take that information and write them a song. And so he did this for 30 people. Uh, among them was uh, a, a, a bunch of, or a couple like uh, underground 90s artists. I can't think of them right now. Uh, Cornelius was one of the members and also a couple other uh, Japanese artists at the time as well. I've heard that he uh, knows Cornelius or is related to him somehow. Yeah, no, he, uh, the other thing I really like about him is he, he had a, he was very important in the Shibuya K movement. Uh, cause I think, I think he actually did live in Japan at the time and he produced a number of, uh, Shibuya K records, uh, especially for, uh, Kahimi Carrier. So he was kind of in, in that scene and, and his music at the time also reflected that, uh, he's got a, pseudo compilation of sorts called um 20 vodka jellies which kind of has his versions of songs he wrote for uh shibuya k artists in japan at the time that and and other stuff too but that's kind of primarily what the album is um but yeah going back to stars for forever uh one i i, I think it's a it's a decent enough album but i really like you know what he did and how he funded it uh because it's he did this in 1999. This is like 10 years, like 10 or so years later. People are doing the same thing with Kickstarter, like the whole crowdfunding, uh, got a patronage type way of funding music rather than using labels, right? And it's just like, you know, well, you know, Momus was kind of on top of this, you know, uh, 10 years before uh, uh, other people are doing this. So. I should probably stop talking about moments because I'm repeating myself and uh, I could go on and on. But yeah, so, so moments would be my, be my third person. Cool. The, hypothet the hypothetical man thanks you and uh, is very grateful for the information you've provided. Yeah, I, believe, uh, I believe I'm up next. Uh, so Frank Zappa, uh, Bob Pollard, and did I have another one or I'm on number three? You're on your third. I think okay. you're on three. Um, uh, I'm tempted to say someone from hardcore. I was going to say Ian MacKay, but having uh, another annoyingly pretentious person would be, uh, I think, probably too much. How about MF Doom? Okay, yeah, that would look amazing. Yeah, it'd be a little more, uh, a little more stout now, probably, since Doom has been putting on the weight as of late. But uh, has he? I thought he's. It's been the other way around, hasn't it? I think he's gotten kind of fat. Maybe he's uh, lost it, but... Uh, I haven't seen so, pictures of him lately. Well, well, the question is, would it be uh, 
you know, Doom's face, or would would he have a, a mask? There'd be a mask, of course. Yeah, that's who Doom so, is. Dan Dumil yeah, so, so, so is so man exactly, so, mask. You know, he might he may be a bit more stout, but you know. Actually, I'm gonna have I'm gonna have uh, Dan Dumil as one, and then MF Doom is my second, and then Victor Vaughn is my third, and then King Ghidorah is my fourth. <laughs> And just to have nice. uh, Mount Doom more or whatever. Mount Doom. Just actual Ghidorah with the three heads and everything. That would be so amazing. Oh, that would actually be. Would that be six? That'd be. Uh, oh, it would, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, three-headed King Ghidorah. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he'd make it work. I'm a fan of the Victor Vaughn though. That may be my favorite, my second favorite Doom incarnation. Although, no, I'm not going to go into this, but. I think MF Doom is probably a good choice because of the you know the variety and awesome music he's made. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Cool. I've I've talked about Doom enough on this podcast. Uh, I should probably not do that anymore. Alex, what about you? Um, this should come as no surprise because I'm a big fan. But Kevin Barnes of Montreal. Nice. Yeah. Good choice. When are you going to listen to him, Austin? Uh. <laughs> When my you you put the headphones in my cold dead ears is when. <laughs> Come on, they released a fantastic album this year. It's the perfect entry point. Yes, seriously, seriously, bro, I, seriously. I'd probably. Well, I don't know about to, a good entry point. But yeah, I'd probably yeah, but it's a good reason to. Impetus. Yeah. Impetus. Exactly. Nice. Uh, hissing fauna. Should I listen to hissing fauna? Either hissing fauna or cherry peel. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I just go with Hissing Fauna. I'll listen to Hissing Fauna. Just listen to Hissing Fauna. Hissing Fauna. Sure, just do it. Fine. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, talk to us about Kevin Barnes. Although I do think we've we've spoken about him on earlier episodes. Yeah, he's a uninhibited, creative, uh, eclectic genius. And he deserves to be preserved forever. Yeah, no, no arguments here. No, no. All right, All right. our last ones now. Last ones. Yeah. All right. Uh, so my number four, and I'm pulling this out of my ass. Uh, you got to go with Tom Waits. Oh, good one. Yep. Uh, actually, kind of for similar reasons to Momus, because this this is another guy who's uh who's been in the biz for his live journal is awesome. Uh, yeah, and he does have an amazing live journal. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, he's just put out so many records, and so many of them are so good. And and the, and the guy himself is just the coolest lunatic ever. Uh, I, I love Tom Waits. The Neon uh, Cat Tom Waits thing is amazing. I haven't seen it oh, yeah. yet. Neon Waits. Oh, uh, so good. I'm searching so it right good. now. Yeah, yeah. Just look up Neon Waits. It'll be, uh, it'll be right up there. But yeah, yeah. Tom Waits is like just, just what a man. It's Tom Waits. What can you say? So, so I won't say anything. <laughs> Austin, who's your fourth? Yeah. Um, little B, of course. Oh. Base, base Mountain. Base Life. Mount Mount Basemore. Base World. Base Mount. Yeah. Yeah. Base Universe. Um, on on the real though, I may have to go. Uh, 
was going to say Jay Maskus, but nobody wants to look at that greasy, chubby <laughs> statue for, for any uh, amount of time. I How don't about, like the way he talks. Yeah. It, it just, if, if there's some way for a mountain to be monotone, he would find out how to do it how about how about david bowie okay yeah definitely he's got a good he's got a good face for for rock it's angular good good face for rock i think that was that was like 1985 david bowie's good face for rock it was terrible So what's your favorite David Bowie album, Austin? Uh, it's Ziggy Stardust, of course. I mean, like, he's one of those people that's like, oh, everybody says Ziggy Stardust. But, like, it totally is, because that album's awesome. Oh, it's a totally a good awesome. I don't think, I think anyone's going to argue a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, Insane, also very good. Anything mm-hmm. up until, like, the 80s is really good. And, like, anything up until the mid-80s is really good, actually. Yeah, I really like, uh, this isn't my favorite, but I really like Scary Monsters. Is, uh, yeah, that's really good. I think it was his first 80s album. Yeah, that's excellent. Mm-hmm. I, mean, uh, I, I think I, that was 1980, yeah. Yeah, I don't think it gets enough credit, but it's very good. David Bowie, then. Uh, Alex, I guess you'd be the last one. We should probably wrap this up since it's going so well and we don't want to jinx future episodes, right? Yeah. Um, well, seeing as how Steve got to do Owen Pallet, I think it's only fair that I get to choose Stephen Malkmus. (gasps) Boo! Wearing the Silver Jews hat (laughs) so I can get two in. Hold on. What is the Silver Jews hat? Um, he was in the Silver Jews. That was actually his first band. And he, they sold hats. What what manner? What what manner of hat? Like, like a yarmulke? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that would have been awesome. But they were just, it's like the standard baseball cap, but it has like a helmet on it, and then it says Silver Jeeves. Okay, you own I, seven I, of I, them, I, don't you? Of course. <laughs> um. Okay. You, well, you you're already a man, own, admit it, Austin. That, that, that was a lot less exciting than I, than I was you own You that. own a Stephen Malcolm's bust already, don't you? <laughs> yeah. He's already got a mouth, and it's, it's four faces, but they're just all Stephen Malcolmus with different expressions. Mm-hmm. And he has uh, hundreds of pictures tacked up into his wall that's just Stephen Malcolmus <laughs> with the eyes cut out. I tattooed his face onto my own. <laughs> I think we have to oh, end wait. on that note. Yes. The creepiest thing that you could do with Stephen Malcolmus. Oh, <laughs> Stephen Malcolmus, I hate you so much. Admit it, you're a fan. You love him. Well, we're sorry this happened, listeners, and we promise to never ever do it again. Deeply, deeply sorry. Yeah. From all of us here, at your podcast opinion is just terrible. It's really, it's not good. This is Austin wishing you a happy goodbye. Goodbye. Go. Go. Go.